Well, good to see all of you this morning. Uh, let's pray before we get started and ask God to, uh, to bless this time. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you that we get to come together as a church to, uh, to talk, discuss, think about um, the Bible, think about the ways that it teaches us to think. I pray, Father, that you, would, uh, that you would teach us today, that your spirit would be among us here in this Sunday school hour and also when we come to worship you. Please lead us, Lord. Lead us by your spirit and lead us to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So, a um, couple of, uh, well, here's what we're doing. All right, we're talking about church and community. We're talking about the fact that uh, we, we know, generally, that we're a community. Um, but if you were to sit down and think about what that means, right, you'd have to kind of think about what is, what is community then? What is even a church? Um, what, does it, what does Scripture say about all these things? Um, and so we've been talking about, uh, in the last few lessons, sort of a, a compare and contrast between how the Bible teaches us to think and how the world thinks, right? The world, generally speaking, thinks in, in two categories, two kinds of categories, two, two sides of a spectrum, um, so to speak. And the sliding scale is individualism on one side and collectivism on the other. And so we've been doing some compare and contrast. You know, what does it look like for a church that is, has individualistic tendencies or, or, or roots? Um, and then last week, we talked a little bit, very briefly, about what unity really is. Uh, I, I think it was Brett said, hey, or maybe it was Charlie or Matthew or s someone said um, somewhere, hey, what is unity? Right? Let's actually define what that is. And so we're trying to work through a little bit what unity is, how scripture thinks about unity, um, especially as we think about that compare and contrast right, between the kind of unity that happens in individualism and today we'll talk a little bit about collectivism and how it, it produces unity, right? So we have, we can look in the world and see supposed unity, right? People are supposedly unified in different ways, but uh, what we're trying to push and get at is what does scripture say and what is biblical, scriptural, Christian unity? Um, and we've, we've dropped seeds here and there and we'll, we'll try to pull some of these, uh, these threads pull some of these seeds together um, in, the in the next couple weeks. Uh, but today, I want to do a little bit of review, a little bit of leftovers, stuff from last week. So we talked very briefly about what unity is. Um, I don't know if you remember, but let's, I'll, I'll pitch the question to you all this morning. So what is unity? Biblical Christian unity. What is unity? Matthew? I would say being collected as a brotherhood of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're brought together in some way in Christ and family. Does unity mean that we all agree on everything? If David and I think, or if David and I like the same sports team, which I don't think we do, you think you're, are you City? It doesn't matter. Um, he, he likes some soccer team that's probably, probably really bad. But if we just agree, right, if we agreed on, on which team we liked, does that mean that we are unified? Well, you can be unified, you can have unity even if you don't agree on 
Okay, so you can have unity even if you disagree. What else? What else do you think Christian unity is? So if it's, if it's not necessarily mean agreeing on everything. Okay, like-mindedness. That sounds like agreeing on everything. <laughs> kind of. Ready? Okay, so there's maybe something about unity of purpose, unity of goals. You talk about a body, like a, like a human body. Mm -hmm. All the parts are for a different use. Mm -hmm. But when I'm going to accomplish a task, parts work together to accomplish that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's something about Christian unity that means oneness in a way, right? <laughs> There's one bread. We who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. There's oneness involved with Christian unity. Um, so, contra to individualism, right? Individualism, even when they think and talk about unity, what they really mean is we're going to be separate, but we can share certain things. And those shared common ground, so to speak, is what unifies us. So... We talked about this. What, what sorts of things unify an individualistic church? They like the, the music, the preaching, uh, the, the location even. Um, they like the theology. But there's common ground, right? common shared interests, shared goals. These things are the, the foundation of the unity in an individualistic church or society. Uh, that there's something common to all the individuals, Right, we're, all, we're all marbles, and we're all different colored marbles, but we all are in the same box, and that provides our unity. Um, or we have the same preferences, or the same goals, or same interests. Um, and we talked about this last week, too, but just to be clear, that doesn't make common interests and common goals and common preferences bad. Like We can all agree that Reformed theology is biblical. We should probably seek to go to a church that teaches Reformed theology. However, that's not the basis of your unity. Because can you be unified to a, to a Christian who is not Reformed? Yeah. Yeah, because there's one God, and we can be unified to the Christians in, in Africa and Asia and Europe, even if we don't share the same theology, the same fundamental theological systems. We can be unified in Christ. Right, so there's oneness involved. There's something bigger than just us, in other words. We are unified, as, as Matthew said, in Christ. Um, so let's, let's put it a different way. Um, unity is a status that you have. Unity is a status that you have. So it's kind of like um, justification. 
justification is, is not a progressive thing. It's not like you can be sort of justified, but not all the way. Um, you are either justified or you're not. You are either unified or you're not. So Paul says this in, in uh, Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. Just use your call to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, what, what Paul is saying is, you have unity. It's your status with each other before God. However, he says, maintain it. So, Paul says, you have this unity. Right? You have it. This is not something that we're, this is a status thing, not, not a feeling, not an emotion. I don't, it's not that I feel unified. It's not the common basis. Right? We don't have a common interest common goal. That's not what unifies us. However, we have a status. And as we've been learning the last few weeks, where does the status come from? In other words, what shapes your identity? Michelle? Whether you're in Adam or in Jesus. Right. Covenantal covenants, right? Your, Your identity, your status comes from which covenant are you in. That means your unity comes from which covenant are you in. And if you are unified uh, to Adam, if he's your covenant representative, your covenant head, that's where your unity is, right? You will have that in Adam. That's your community, and that's your identity. Likewise, if you're in Christ, that's your community, that's your identity. And so we have unity in Christ, we have unity in Christ. And so it's a status that God gives to us. Um, you, you look at a tree, right? A tree has a root. The root is Christ. And it has branches. And the branches are everyone who is covenantally connected to Christ. They are fundamentally unified. Right? They are connected. Uh, it's not like you see a billion trees. You see one tree with different branches and different leaves. But you see one tree. Same when God looks at his body, at his, at his church, he sees one body, one church. So we are unified, we are united uh, by the Spirit, as Paul says, right? Maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the bond of peace, unity of the Spirit, these are covenantal words, right? The bond of peace, it's a covenantal binding. That's what unifies us. Uh, and this is what God has done by his, his power as a gift to us. Right? We are called by God to this one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Lord does all of this. Right? The Lord brings us into unity in Christ. However, Paul says, maintain it. So we'll come to that in just a little bit. We have unity. It's a status that we have. And Paul says, maintain it. Uh, so we'll come back to that in just a sec. So that's, that's the kind of unity that we're talking about. Um, but that's not the only way that we talk about unity. There's, there's another way, actually, that we can think about unity. One of them is as a status that we are called to maintain. And the other, he says just a few verses later, 
uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, uh, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, right, the church, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Paul is saying right, that God gave gifts to us in the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we reach a goal. And that goal, he says in verse 13, Ephesians 4.13, is until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Um, so what, what Paul is saying, I think, is that we have this unity in Christ. However, we're not done. We're not mature. We're still seeking maturity. And this maturity, this measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, this attaining to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ, uh, that, is, that is our goal. And you can sum all that up as until we become like Jesus. Right? Until we, as a body and as individuals, become mature as we grow up into Christ. Um, so this means that we have, we, have a, we have unity right now, but we're not at the end point. There's still more to do. We're not in mature unity yet. And that's why I think Paul says, maintain it. Maintain the unity you do have and take advantage of the gifts that God does give to equip us so that we grow in that unity until we reach maturity. Um, so we're still looking for something greater. We're not done. We have unity. It's a status we have, but we have more to do. We're still growing into it. Does that make sense? I want to pause. Any questions? I hope that, hope that is clear. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, uh, feel free to ask a question or we can talk later. So um, let's take a couple seconds and, and think through what the implications are for what unity is not. So that's what unity is, but what is unity not? And this is where you can pull from what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks with individualism, and we'll talk about collectivism in just a minute. What is unity not? What is, what is it? What does the world think that unity is? And why is that not true? You could ask, what sorts of things unify people not in Christ? Okay. Like what? Okay. So John says that everything that divides is, is the f basis of unity, whether that's your sex or your class or your race or whatever. Michelle? John, would it be fair to say, like, we're, we're united because we are not like them, right? So 
you know, I like the Seahawks, but you like some other football team. You know, the unity is from the what you're not. If I do that, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what I heard you say. If I, can, if I can interpret John a little bit, I think what you're saying is that, that the world generally finds, it thinks unity is in we're the same. Unity is we're the same in some way. Whether that means we're the same gender, we're the same race, we're the same country, we're the same social economic class. That's what unifies us, that's what brings us together, is that we share this thing in common. Um, but isn't that true of Christianity, right? We share something in common. That's what unifies us. What do we, what do we share in common? Christ. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Sunday school. It's good to always say Jesus if you don't know what the answer is. Uh, but does this mean that, you know, there are no differences between us? No, there's lots of them. I'm not the same as Gary. Gary's not the same as John. And we are, we are different, right? We are not all the same. And we look different, we talk different, we come from different classes, socioeconomic classes, we come from different educational statuses, we come from different uh, towns, we come from lots of different places. And, and the goal, right, is not to build a church that all looks the same and talks the same and thinks the same in everything. Why not? Now, again, which, which covenant are you in? That's the basis of our unity. So what other things might unify people in the world? Okay, something common, commonality in how we look, how we talk, how we think. Commonality in us. What other things might unify people in the world? Okay. It doesn't matter what color. Meaning, meaning what? Like. In all, all cultures, from all different colors. Okay. Black, white, yellow, red. It doesn't matter. It's there. Sure. But but what is what's the unifying factor? Is it just that we look alike? Partially, yeah. actually, that's probably the basic thing. It's part of it. And part of it is also culture. Okay. 
but what's the external unifying factor? So, so what I'm pushing at is, I think you're right, but racists aren't just unified because they like being white. It's also because they hate somebody else. Yeah. Common enemies. Yeah. 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 Of course, because it's human. What's that? Religion. Yeah. Yeah, so we are we are we see diversity as as evidence that the gospel is working, right? If if a bunch of people who don't look alike and don't talk alike and don't all think alike are are not just getting along, but are together in fellowship and joy and peace and love, that that means that something good is happening, right? God is doing something through the gospel. That the gospel is capable of 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 erasing not erasing distinctions, not erasing differences, but overcoming them, like bridging them, bringing people who ordinarily wouldn't spend time together into sweet fellowship and peace in Christ, the love of Christ. Um, <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean that if, if our church is not diverse that we're doing the gospel bad, right? We don't, I think we're, we don't have anybody who's a different race in our church right now. Does that mean that we're not a gospel church? Yeah, like if we if we don't have any black people, are we doing something wrong? No, but there's probably room for growth in their area. There might be. Sure. Yeah. But you know, someone could come in and say, Well, you don't have any black people in your church. You know, you need to be more inclusive. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I've, I've led us into the weeds a little bit. This is maybe not the topic that we should be thinking about quite, quite yet. Um, I appreciate your thoughts. So let's, let's get back on, on where we're pushing, what unifies the world, right? There's, there's common enemies, there's common interests. You know, we like the same things, and conversely, we hate the same things, right? You could be united as uh, a shared hatred of of a, a, a football team. You could be united by your shared hatred of a different culture. You could be shared or united in your common hatred of, uh, of mushrooms or pineapple and pizza, which are both horrible. Um, like all these things unite people in the world. Why are you all laughing? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's other ways that the world gets unified. Um, 
I forget, there's an, there's an acronym for these, but uh, coercion, fear, guilt, and obligation. <clears throat> I forget if it's like COG or something like that, but uh, coercion, obligation, guilt, and fear. These are all tools for unity in the world. Um, specifically, um, when we're talking about collectivism. So individualism, the main, the foundation of what unifies us is common interests. We have, we have shared goals or shared interests because really in an individualistic society or church, the heart, the, the highest good is me and my desires, what feels good for me, uh, what makes me happy. So let's talk about collectivism. What's the difference between individualism and collectivism? What's, what's the highest good, what's at the center of a collectivistic society or church? The collective. Yeah. So in other words, the individual is subordinate to the collective. Or to say it another way, no one individual takes precedence over the collective or the common good. Right? The collective is the heart of society. The collective is the highest good. What's good for the collective is what, what the whole pursues. Um, so what, how is your identity shaped in a collectivist society? Or maybe we could compare and contrast first. Matthew? Well, I think from history we see that in collective societies there is still a ruling class that tells you what to do and what to think. So that you can, so that all the normal people can serve the greater good, quote unquote, which is ultimately the government. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, there's no true collective society where we're all looking out for each other and supporting each other and, you know, looking out for the best of the whole. Right. Yeah, there is no such thing as communism without the state as God. Collectivism naturally always goes towards statism. That's, that's the pathway that it leads towards. Um, however, from maybe, I don't mean a, an optimistic or, a, you know, maybe step back just a little bit. And from someone who believes in this, right, someone who believes in collectivism, who believes that this is actually the right way to think, Right? They're not going to say, oh, well, yeah, obviously you're going to have a ruling class of elites and we're going to worship them and they're going to tell us what to do and what to breathe. They're not coming at it from, that's what we want. They're coming at it from, from the perspective of not individualism. Right? They look at individualism and what do they see? Division, fractures, uh, partisanship. Like everybody's in their own little faction. And there's, and there's all these cracks of division. Um, and so they say, we don't want that. We want unity, right? We want something that binds us together, that holds us together without fracturing us all apart into little bits and pieces. Um, and so in a, in a, someone who's really believing in collectivism, what they're trying to push at is we need to be together and united and not individual and fractured. And it's not about what you want and, and your desires and what makes you happy. We have to be pursuing a bigger, something bigger, right? something bigger than yourself. Um, and so your identity in a collectivist society is that whole, 
It's, it's the group. In other words, it's imposed on you from outside. Compare and contrast that to individualism. In, in an individualistic society, how is your identity shaped? And so the natural pathway of individualism is what you see in America right now. I identify as a man. I identify as a woman. Here's my pronouns. You know, all this stuff is I get to shape my identity the way I want. No one gets to tell me from outside what my identity is. In a collectivist society, you don't get to, tell your, you don't get to decide your identity. Someone else gets to decide it, and they impose it upon you. Which means that collectivist societies have a far greater semblance of unity than individualistic ones. On the outside, they look like they are more unified because they have a collective identity that is imposed upon them. And so they look like they're all unified. For instance, um, have you ever seen a North Korean missile parade uh, that has empty stands? Of course not. No, the, the stands are always full and everyone's cheering, right? But that doesn't mean that they have actual unity, but it looks like it. G? Yeah. yeah, it's imposed identity, which is why the tools of collectivism are coercion, fear, guilt, obligation. Coercion, fear, guilt, obligation. Um, so back to, right, that person who really believes in collectivism, they look at individualism and they say, wow, how fractured, how, how divided you look. Um, talk to a Roman Catholic, and they will tell you that Protestantism is divided. They will tell you there are so many denominations and divisions in Protestantism. Look at the Roman Catholic Church and how unified it is. Right? It's because the Roman Catholic Church is a collectivist church. Protestantism typically has been individualistic. But the Roman Catholic Church is a collectivistic church. Um, when you look at American Christianity, right, you see churches that are that are, if they're affiliated with other churches, it's very loose, right? You have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of independent churches, independent denominations, churches that don't have a denomination, right? And they actually get counted as a denomination when they do their, uh, the statistics of how many Protestant denominations there are. Those independent Baptist churches get counted as their own denomination because they don't have one. They're not, they don't have a larger affiliation, right? And over time, Churches like this, that are individualistic, isolated, and cut off, they become atomistic. They ultimately get torn apart by division, real division, egos, power struggles, gossip, liberalism. These, all, these factors all tear apart individualistic churches. And then that's why so many people look then to the Roman Catholic Church as an answer to all the division they see in American Christianity. Because it looks like it's stable, strong, unified. 
There are no cracks. Right? There's no divisions. It's one strong, stable church. Uh, at least that's what it looks like. However, what do collectivist societies and churches always go towards? We already said it. What is it? Statism. Something is God. It's tyranny, right? It's it's tyrannical oppression. That's where where collectivism goes. Um, North Korea, the USSR, uh, China. These are collectivistic societies, and they are tyrannical societies. Because the thing, one of the things that tyrants hate the most, that that the state, when it's become statism, when it, the things it hates the most is dissension. Is when people don't agree. Right? You're not allowed to think different. You're not allowed to talk different. That's that's bad. We don't allow that because then that's division, right? So that's why the Reformation happened, was because the church had become tyrannical. The Roman Catholic Church had become tyrannical because it was collectivistic. And it became to the point where you could not disagree, you could not cause dissension, you could not tell the Pope what to think, right? He is he's the state. The whole Roman Catholic Church, the collective, can tell you what to think. It can impose its identity on you. And then the reformers said, but what if it didn't? What if we actually read the Bible instead? So... Let's wrap up a couple of threads here. Um, we live in an individualistic society, and we're seeing the natural fruit of that, right, in, in our culture, in our world, how when identity is what you make it, how everything, then everything's on the table. Right? There is no such thing as a moral bad because everything is just whatever I feel. If it feels good, I get to do it. Um, and so a lot of people are seeing this. And they're identifying it correctly. But there's a, there's a push, a movement, towards now collectivism as the answer. This is why socialism and communism is, is trendy. Uh, there's a lot of different factors into this. But it is trendy. And it is perceived as the answer to all this craziness and division. Um, however, collectivism also fails. It cannot stand. Uh, because it ends up in tyranny. So the, the answer then to individualism and collectivism is covenants. It's covenantal thinking. It's the gospel. It's what has God done for us. And the gospel says, though you are different, you're distinct, right? God has brought you together and united you by his spirit in the bond of peace into one body, one building, one bride, and unified you, and given you that status. And as different parts of the body, we get to work together because Christ is in us and working in us and forming himself in us. And so the more that we look not to our own selves, right, not to look inside of our own hearts um, and say, well, what makes me happy? And the less that we look at, well, what, what's the collective? You know, I'm just going to be a part of the collective and and whatever they say goes. Instead, we start holding up the Bible together as a body, and we say, this, this word 
This is what matters. This is our standard. This is what brings us uh, truth. This is the highest good, is glorify God, enjoy him forever. And when we have that as our highest good, not myself and not even the collective, right? when that's the highest good, that is when we grow and maintain the unity that we have been given. Does that, does that make any sense? John? Yeah, the essence of this is that we are transformed by, by God, that we're made new. Are there any other questions? I'm sure Charlie is at home just bouncing up and down, wishing he could ask questions right now. Um, Matthew? Well, I was just thinking... Yeah, we are not our own. Amen. And thanks be to God. Because we see what happens when we think that we're our own. So, Charlie, I know you just came in, but we basically just solved all the problems. of the. Yeah, you missed it. Sorry. Um, and actually, the recording didn't work, so you can't go back. Um, nope. No, it's all done. I'm never going to say these words again. Okay. Um, Let's pray and ask God to bless us and prepare us for worship. Father in heaven, as we come before you, we thank you that you have bought us, that we are redeemed, that we are brought together not by uh, our desire, not because we decided to follow Jesus, because Jesus decided to die for us, even though we are enemies. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us, that you have knit us together, united us uh, in Christ in the bond of peace, 
Father, I pray that you would teach us how to maintain this unity, that you would teach us and grow us in this maturity, that we become more like Jesus, both in our hearts, in our families, in our church, uh, and as we seek to love uh, this fallen world. Please guide us in these ways, Lord. Pray that you would uh, bless us as we come to worship you. Please lead us, Lord, that we would have the right attitude, the right hearts and minds to sing your praise and to glorify you, to receive all of your gifts this morning. Please feed your sheep, Lord. Feed us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.